for the reading of the word. The whole church said, Amen. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, missed you last week. I've been away with a couple of dozen people from this church and a number of other folks on a 10-day trip to Israel. And so we got back yesterday around 2. I woke up this morning around 2, yesterday time, 2 a.m. So it's going to be a fun morning. Um, but I'm just, I'm so happy. So it's just so good to be back with you, to be here this morning to worship with you. I want to welcome all the guests who are here. Would love to get a chance to meet you. I want to welcome those who are joining us on live stream. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, my boys were up here reading scripture. I take a trip with my boys every year. We do a baseball trip. We started this seven years ago with my oldest. My youngest joined in five years ago. And we go around, we see different baseball stadiums and take advantage of whatever that city has to offer, the museums, nature sites. It's been a great way to see the world. Now, if you were to ask my boys, maybe a year or two years ago, what was their favorite stadium they've been to? There's a good chance a year or two years ago, their answer would have been to see the Tampa Bay race. But here's the deal. If you were to Google a day people's favorite baseball stadiums, Tampa would be at the very bottom, or at least in like the bottom two, when people rank their favorite stadiums. It's, it's really a dump, and I'm not trying to hate on people here who may be Ray fans, all right? Uh, but it's, it's an older stadium. There's really nothing beautiful about it. It's fallen apart. There are insects and things crawling around throughout the stadium. But they have one redeeming quality. Is that in the outfield, they have a stingray tank. And it's a tank where real stingrays, and you can pet them, you can feed them. And it's a, it's a really cool experience. It's not that big. If you go to the next picture, here's kind of a shot where you can see where the stingray tank is and where the field is. So we're out at the stingray tank, and my boys think this is the coolest thing. So they said, Dad, what are the chances of a home run landing in the tank? And I was like, guys, it's not going to happen. For one, it's like a 440-foot shot just to make it in the tank. And that tank's not that big. It's a little bigger than the size of this stage. So I said, guys, only a couple of balls every year make it into the tank. So we get to the ninth inning of the game. The score zero zero. They're bored out of their minds. They're like, Dad, we got to go. And I'm like, I'm Rick Ross's son. When we pay money to do something, we stay until the end. Like, so, <laughs> so hush your mouths and have a good time, you know. So, and in the ninth inning, Nelson Cruz hits a three-run homer and it lands in the tank. And my boys were amazed. Wow. And here's how it often happens. When we have wow experiences in life, it's placed inside of a memory bank. And we remember it forever. When you see a movie and you're wowed, you share it with all your friends. When you read a book and you're wowed, you may give it a five-star review and you share it with friends. When you experience a Broadway show or somewhere, some nature site, and you're blown away and you're wowed, you share it with others. It's just how it works. So for 10 days, I guess eight or nine days, if you don't count the travel time, I was with a group of people and we traveled throughout Israel. And I've never experienced eight days where I said, wow, more. Because sometimes that's all, I had to, that's all I had to give. I stood in places where Jesus healed diseases and drove out demons and taught. We were on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee where I could see where Jesus fed 5,000 people. And to my right where Jesus fed 4,000 people. And not too far in front of me where Jesus restored Peter and John 21. And we're out in the middle of a 
of a lake, the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus walked on the water and calmed storms and were listening to a hill song, song about what a beautiful name it is. You talk about a worship experience I'll never forget. I preach from the place where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. I preach from the garden tomb where some believe it's where Jesus was, where he died and was placed in a tomb and where he came out of a tomb. There's a tomb there. Some people think it's the tomb Jesus was, went, was in. If it's not, it's an ancient tomb that would have been much like the tomb Joseph of Arimathea that he owned and that he placed Jesus in. And we walked in the tomb and we came out of the tomb much like Jesus would have come out of the tomb. But when we came out of this tomb, my mom was there because the tomb is empty is a rallying cry for our family and for the church. And my mom was there and my mom and Casey embraced and they were weeping with tears of joy. And you know, I mean, let's just face it. If you're a brother and your wife is crying and your mom's crying, you cry too. It's just what happens. Our God is crying because he's so moved in this moment. We had this worship experience Friday morning and a Eucharist, a Lord's Supper experience. Just, I've, I've said wow so many times over the last week and a half. Yesterday morning, we landed at JFK Airport in New York around 4.30. My body was telling me it was lunchtime. I was hungry. We had been on an 11-hour flight, and Casey said, let me just go get a breakfast bar or some yogurt. And I eat breakfast bars, and I'm not afraid to say I love me some yogurt parfaits, all right? But that's not what I was craving when I came back to the United States. I needed bacon. <laughs> I, went to a, I went to a restaurant, and I said, look, I just need a plate full of bacon. And they said, would you like some eggs? And I said, no, I need a plate of bacon. They said, do you want some pancakes and waffles? I said, I don't know if I'm conveying my message clear enough. I need a plate of bacon. I don't care how much it costs. I have a credit card. I'm ready to swipe it. I just need bacon. Every single bite of that bacon was a wow. We eat food and we say, wow. We watch movies and there's a wow. But, and, and, I, and I'm leading to a text. I'm really leading somewhere this morning. But I want you to hear the text in a certain way this morning. And to get there, it's almost a tightrope. It's this thin line I've got to walk just for a moment. Because I still believe today that God is producing and manufacturing and creating wow moments in our present day time. That God is active and God is initiating, God is doing things and God is saving people. And there are Muslims in the Middle East who are probably right today, they're having dreams of Jesus, encountering them in dreams and they're coming to Jesus and God's doing things all over the world. And I believe God didn't just create wow moments a long time ago. He's still doing them now. I pray for them. I want you to experience them. I believe in them. All right, but here's where I need to challenge us today is that what happens if your faith is only built upon having wow God moments in your life? What happens if the wow God moments don't happen at the pace you would like to have some wow God moments? Faith in Jesus is not about having regular, consistent, daily wow moments from God. Faith in Jesus is about being faithful even when those wow moments do not come. And it's believing that the wow moments that God has already created through death, burial, and resurrection is enough to keep us grateful no matter what happens in life. 
but we live in a culture where we're so caught up in being wowed that what happens when you go a season in your life and you feel like God hasn't wowed you and what happens in our lives when we keep going to church, but we feel like the church isn't wowing us anymore. Well, Kip and the praise team just haven't sung the songs. It just make me feel that certain feeling. Josh just doesn't seem to have it recently. I'm not feeling it. I'm not connecting. There's no wow. What happens when, when, when we seem to lack the wows? So what happened in my life when I became a follower of Jesus, a passionate follower of Jesus at the age of 16, I was going in the youth group and we would, and, and I had these wow moments that happened at youth rallies and youth retreats and church camp and the devotionals we would have on Sunday nights. But then what happened is I would come into church on Sunday mornings and I just wouldn't feel the wow. Because it didn't seem like people sang with the same excitement that we sang in the youth group. And when we were at rallies and I would look around and it didn't seem like I was seeing fruit that was coming from people's lives. Or it seemed like when people sang, their arms were crossed. And it was like they were mimicking more the bitter beer face commercials than they did someone who was filled with the Spirit of God. You know what I'm saying? And what happened to me is I became very judgmental of what happened in the ordinary regular Sunday morning service. Because the wow moments I would occasionally have weren't happening in the, in the weekly service I was a part of. And ju- I became very judgmental of people. And, and judging who they are and, and even the character and nature of their heart. When Jesus wowed people with miracles and driving out demons, what he had in mind was faithfulness and submission and surrender and radical discipleship. Jesus did not come just to create a show. He didn't come just to stand up in front of people and wow them. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't magic. Jesus wasn't just trying to wow people all the time. He was wowing people in order to call them into a whole nother kind of way of life. Not to create fans or a big social media platform. It was to change the way people lived. So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. We only have three weeks left in this series in the Gospel of Mark. I'm doing Mark 1 through 10, and then we're going to take a break for a few months. And next year in the season of Lent leading up to Easter, I'm going to come back and I'm going to preach Mark 11 through 16. In Mark chapter 8, verse 1 through, um, with 1 through 3, the very beginning of Mark 8, it says this. The Pharisees came, and they began to question Jesus. And to test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Mark 8, 1. I woke up at 2 a.m., people. I'm going to make it through this, all right? Mark 8, 1. (laughs) During those days, another large crowd gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, and this is where Jesus feeds the 4,000, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days, and they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. I want you just to notice this in these three verses. These people have been with Jesus three days. Of course they're hungry. But in this story, these people don't come to Jesus saying, I'm hungry, do something about it. They don't come to Jesus saying, where's the closest restaurant or service station? They don't come to Jesus saying, hey, we heard once that you fed 5,000 people. Can you do that for us? Jesus takes the initiative in this story. Jesus is the one who notices, hey, these people are hungry and we need to do something about it. So there are times when I think God is waiting on you, waiting on us to come to God with a request, with the desire of our heart. 
laying something in front of him, but there are times today God is doing things for you and caring for you in ways you'll never know about it. And it's because God is good and he's gracious and he's faithful. Sometimes God just initiates because he knows how to care for his children. And here Jesus initiates to care for them. He eats, ends up feeding over 4,000 of them. And then there's a conversation with his apostles that break out, and he talks with them about it. And then we get to this. In chapter 8, verse 11, here's what we have. The Pharisees came, and they began to question Jesus. And to test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. They wanted to be wowed. And if their desire wasn't to be wowed, maybe they're trying to catch Jesus in something they did. But why not be wowed? Why do you try to catch him in something that he does? So the Pharisees are there because it's almost like there was this truth squad. That the Pharisees, wherever Jesus went, whatever he did, they're following around trying to catch Jesus in something. This is already three years into the public ministry of Jesus. And they're coming asking for another sign. Like, what's another sign going to do for you? There have already, already been plenty of signs out there. And Jesus responds to him. You want a sign? Here, here's his response. He sighed deeply. And he said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And then he left them, got back into the boat, and he crossed to the other side. He sighed deeply. Now, there are times in my life when I read big chunks of Scripture, and I read a lot of Scripture at the same time, trying to get like the bigger story. And then there are times where I slow down, and there are little words or phrases that cause me to pause. And this one is, there's this little phrase in there, if you notice it. It says, Jesus left them. And when I read that weeks ago, my heart was sad. He left them. And I'm not suggesting he left them like they were now beyond redemption or that they lost their salvation or there's no way that those Pharisees who he left could ever enter into a covenant with God. It's not what I'm suggesting. But in this moment, it's like Jesus looked at him and he's like, I'm done playing your games. It's been three years, and, you, and you, just, you just want to be wowed? Like, you just want another sign? Like, what, what good is that going to do? Because there are times where Jesus, it's like he would look at people and just say, hey, my, my call in my life is to be obedient to God, not to live up to your expectations of who I am or what you want me to be. And then we read this, and here's where I want to focus on today and hopefully give you something to take home. In verse 14 through 21, it says this. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. And notice what Jesus says here. If you underline in your Bible, I want you to underline this. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another, and they said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. And he said to, to them, Do you still not understand? When Jesus talks to him, what he says is, beware, like watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod, which is interesting that he added that part. He says, watch out, beware. So my family, we take a beach trip every year because we're Christians, all right? Uh, 
We're a, we prefer beaches over mountains in my family. My wife would tell you she needs a one-week beach experience every year for her sanity. She would say that, not me, all right? She, we, we like the beach. And we went to the beach a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. Some of you were down there too. When it was just a couple of days before the hurricane hit, a tragic hurricane. Hated the lives were lost and homes were lost. They fly flags at the beach. When you go on the beaches, there are flags that fly. And I don't really ever notice them because usually we're not there in times of tropical storms or hurricanes. But there are certain color flags that fly when the beach is like a lake. It's peaceful and you can go and you can play. And there are other flags that fly and they're just letting you know, hey, winds may be a little higher today. There may be some waves, so just be careful out there. And there are other flags that fly to let you know, hey, today you can get in maybe knee deep, but you don't need to go out into the waves. And there are other flags that fly that say, hey, do not get in the water today. And we were there the day before the hurricane hit. And there were these flags flying saying, just don't get in the water at all. And there were still people who would. And then there were patrol people who were coming around whistling and calling people in you know, because it was dangerous. Don't get out in those waves. They could suck you into the ocean. And here, when Jesus is talking to them, this is not a proceed with caution, go knee deep, but be careful. This is the flag that is flying saying, beware and watch out and don't find yourselves living a kind of life like the Pharisees or swearing allegiance to Rome like Herod's do. This is, the, this is that flag that is flying saying, don't, don't, don't be tempted. Don't even let a little bit of that yeast get inside of you because all it takes is a little bit to grow and slowly turn you into something you never wanted to become. That's how yeast works. Jesus says, beware and you watch out. Like, don't mess around with the yeast of the Pharisees. Because for the Pharisees, their righteousness was about outward appearance and how they looked. It wasn't about inner transformation or doing something good for the world. And Jesus is like, don't be a part of that. Don't let that even get inside of you a little bit because it grows. Well, what's really interesting here to me is that he doesn't just say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, but it's also beware of the yeast of Herod. Herod's they were Jews who swore allegiance to Rome. They ruled with brutal force. And I think Jesus is telling the Pharisees the same thing the message Jesus tells us today is that if you think your security comes from a nation, from a government, or from policies, you're wrong. Our security only comes from God. So we don't have affections that grow inside of us that's only an outward appearance form of righteousness. We, we grow affections inside of us for God and what it is he wants for us. And, and don't live your life in a way where you think you can swear allegiance to a kingdom or a nation and to the kingdom of God. It's everything you have. It is for God. As my boys read up here earlier from Mark 8, this sets the stage for the most radical call of discipleship that is given to the followers of Jesus. Everything you have, all in. And then Jesus begins to ask them questions. Do you understand? Do your eyes not see? Do your ears not hear? Twice he talks about their eyes seeing. Don't you understand what I'm talking to you about? So when I preached the first sermon in this series back on August 12th, I didn't begin in Mark chapter 1, I began in Mark chapter 8. And here, real quick, if you'll go to that, the summary slot, 
Here's how the rest of Mark chapter 8 goes, and I'm not going to read all this for you. But here's how it goes. Right after what I just read to you about this conversation Jesus has with his disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees, and then he asks, don't you understand? Here's what you have. There's a blind man, and this is the double-touch healing. This is where Jesus touches a blind man, and he's partially healed, and then Jesus touches him again, and he's fully healed. So he goes from not being able to see to partially being able to see, to fully being able to see. And then right after that is this moment where Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah, which leads to what was read earlier, this radical call to discipleship of everything you have has to be all in. And I started here because I think that's how we need to read the book of Mark, is that Jesus is not just interested in helping you or helping the church partially see. It's that Jesus wants us to fully see. So I wonder today if God came to us, if God would ask the same question of us. Don't you understand? And part of me wonders if God would ask the church today, do you even care? To understand. Like to understand who God is and what it is He desires and what God wants for the church. I like to think of us as a church that's in progress and in process. That we haven't arrived at truth and we haven't arrived at what it means to, to be the church God has called us to be, but we're in the process of becoming who it is God wants us to be. Do you do you understand? Because seeing better and having the vision God desires begins with acknowledging and repenting of the fact that we don't currently see as God wants us to see. So I want to ask you, if you will, close your eyes and bow your heads. And I just want to call you into a moment of reflection and maybe give you a question or two to reflect on that you can take from here throughout your week. Because I want you to reflect right now in the presence of God, just as you, as you hear me talk, that what we absorb and what we take into our minds and our hearts has a major impact on our emotions and our energy, our affections, and the fruit that we bear in life. And to absorb and take in anything that doesn't align with the kingdom of God doesn't only bear bad fruit, but it's the fruit the next generation's eating from too from us. I want to call us into a time of just acknowledging what it is inside of us that may be the yeast that is growing that is not of the kingdom. For in this room there may be someone who needs to repent of a yeast of hatred, a yeast of racism, a yeast of pride, a yeast of greed, a yeast of complacency. And we ask today in the name of Jesus, not just that he will keep it from growing larger, but that he will root it out of who we are. And God, in this room today, Will you speak some of these same words over us that you spoke over the disciples years ago? Call us into a deeper place with you. That we may become less and that you may become greater. In the name of Jesus we pray and the church said, Amen.
I want to ask the elders and the prayer leaders, if you will, go around the room to receive people. And if there's anything we can do for you or pray, there's spots throughout this room for you to go and find one of these prayer leaders. You can come forward to one of our elders who are here to receive you. You can find one of our prayer tables right in the middle section, and feel free to write something down on that. Let's stand together and let's sing a song.